Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cast Dice, the podcast that explores the great big wild world of tabletop gaming that exists today. It's been said once or twice, mainly on this podcast, that we are in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are just too many good games that we can spend our hobby time and our hobby dollars on, and it can lead to a serious case of not knowing what to play next. And I guess that's the purpose of this podcast, to talk about the games that my guests and I enjoy playing, to talk about big industry events, and to talk to the people who create these games. Now, we have had a lot of requests for more bolt action content recently. And yes, we are going to be covering other game systems. Clearly, we just covered Slain, and I have a few other uh, bits and pieces up my sleeve. But bolt action it is. Now, I did have some requests after the episode with Reese to talk more about my fin list. So I will be doing that a little bit today. But rather than this talking nuts and bolts, I thought I would have on someone who loves his history, who loves his theming list, but also knows his way around a game table. And I thought that we could talk about, I could talk about the theme on my list, he could talk about the theme on his list, and we could go back and forth a little bit and talk about two different ways to build a list that is both interesting, different, and um, has some teeth on the tabletop. So today, we are going to dig in deep. But in order to do that, I need a man to help me with the shovel to start digging. And if there's a guy who knows his history and knows his conversions and knows how to use it on the tabletop, it is my good man Jordan from Scale History SLC. Jordan, man, welcome back to Cast Dice. Hey, it's so good to be here. Good to talk to you again, Brad. Brother, you have... Uh, well, you have a lot of really cool conversions. I am loving the American conversions that you've been posting online. Just sensational stuff. Um, talk to us a little bit about that project to start with. And for those who aren't familiar where they can find it, because not only have you been posting it, but Warlord's been sharing it. Yeah, I... Uh, like a general theme when I, I am building uh, miniatures and armies, I really like to make things unique. You know, the last time you and I talked, I think I re used the word unique about 500 times. So I'm going to try and <laughs> yes. not do that here. Um, but I was I was thinking about um, American Army infantry in the Pacific. Yeah. And I think when most people think about the Pacific theater, they think about the Marines. Hoorah. Um, Hoorah. Well, the Marines got a ton of good press. They were very good at marketing themselves. Mm -hmm. um, but actually, there was a ton more U.S. Army um, personnel in the Pacific, both in combat and support roles. Mm -hmm. um, and I wanted to represent on the table that on the table. Uh, there's not a whole lot out there that you can just do that out of the box. Um, I guess you could use the uh, the warlord American plastic kit. And if you've already got painted for the European theater, you know, no one's really going to care. But I wanted to make sure that if I had some of those American infantry models, I wanted them to really represent the Pacific theater and the differences there. So, yes, just started out as that idea and wanted to see if it would work. And I think it did. Brilliant. Now, what list are you using for that? Because, again, that is... Uh, I know there were a lot of U.S. Army personnel in the Pacific. However, I honestly am not familiar with tons of their uh, unit organization. I mean, I've read lots of battles. I know they were present on Iwo Jima. I know they were present on um, 
Okinawa and several of the other big battles, but I honestly don't know their organization. I always, I guess, just automatically go to the Marine Corps. But yes, um, so are you just using sort of the late war or mid-war uh, unit entries in, from the U.S. book? Well, what I was specifically looking at was the uh, the Mariana Islands and Palau Islands campaign book. Mm -hmm. um, it has a lot of theater selectors for U.S. Army right. uh, in the Pacific for specific battles. Uh, Saipan, uh, Peleliu, I think Guam is in there too. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think there are some Pacific theater selectors in the American Army book. I, I think specifically there's a Guadalcanal one. Um, but I was looking at uh, those mid to late war battles, um, kind of when I was, uh, you know, coming up with the theme for uh, this army. So uh, that's really where I'm, I'm. I'm focusing. That campaign book also has a, a couple new unit entries mm -hmm. for the U.S. Army, uh, including one that has that can take a couple BARs and SMGs, which is pretty nasty. Um, so that's that's really where I was kind of locating that force. I look forward to seeing that finished and on the tabletop, and then maybe we can talk more about that in the future. But that's actually not what we're having you on to talk about today. That's just another one of your projects. Now, of course, you've also been working on Romanians and a number of other projects that we've talked about on the show, Japanese. But today we're actually going to talk about a very different kind of partisan army. Now, Partisans, when we say that, people almost automatically in the bolt action universe think France. And if you're feeling particularly frisky, a lot of people think Poland. And that's my partisan army. When I played partisans, it was the Warsaw Uprising. Uh, before there was a Warsaw Uprising list, I just used the generic partisan list because I, even afterward, I thought it probably suited better. However, you're using it for another side of the planet and for a different battle completely, and that actually mirrors something that I've been thinking about using uh, for the Easter Front Gumby Army. So before we get to that, though, talk to us a little bit about Vietnam. Yeah, Vietnam, and not 1965, more exactly. like 1945. <laughs> yeah, so at the time, Vietnam was called French Indochina. Um Long before World War II, it came under the sphere of influence of France um, as one of their colonies. So when World War II broke out, France was in control. Um, after they uh, succumbed to the Germans in Europe, uh, France kind of, or sorry, um, French Indochina came under control of the Vichy French. So kind of nominally with the uh, Axis powers. So. Japan was looking at that area for natural resources. They they moved in there, and they they uh, kind of had a loose friendship, isn't the right word, but at least a relationship with the Vichy French. Um, basically, the Japanese grabbed all their resources, but allowed the the French to stay in control there. Um, towards the later end of the war, early 1945. Uh, Japan starts going into panic mode and France is being liberated by the allies in Europe. So Japan decides to take over uh, French Indochina for themselves. They don't want uh, the French there to kind of revolt against them or, or cause them any trouble. Uh, so they take control 
meanwhile, while all this is happening, you have uh, the Vietnamese civilians, the citizens, the um, natives of that country are not happy with either either of these countries controlling their own nation, which right. is you know pretty understandable. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, late 1945, as as the U.S. and the Allies are creeping towards Japan. French Indochina kind of becomes uh, an interest, an interesting, uh, I guess you call it, just uh, zone of the conflict. Uh, so the U.S. Uh, starts making uh, connections with the Vietnamese there, specifically one named Ho Chi Minh. Sounds familiar. Which, Don't you know, know why I know that guy's you know, name. <laughs> if you know your history, you might have heard of this guy. Yeah. Um, Ho Chi Minh starts reaching out to U.S. agents. Uh, he's doing reconnaissance for them. Uh, he's even rescuing downed uh, U.S. pilots. Mm-hmm. Um, and it eventually, the U.S. decides they're going to send in some agents of their own in-country to kind of help out the Vietnamese as they have a uh, like a resistance movement that is building. So uh, this this U.S. team. Seven guys, um, they're part of the OSS, which is kind of uh, special forces intelligence um, for the United States. Uh, these seven guys parachute in to train the Vietnamese. Uh, um, they're under the name of the Viet Minh. You might have also heard of that name. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they train these guys. Uh, they're doing more uh, intelligence and reconnaissance. Uh, they're keeping an eye on Japanese troop movements and shipping and all these sorts of things. Um, uh, and then the war ends in August 1945 and, uh, the Japanese are kicked out and the French come back in, which like we said before, the Vietnamese aren't too happy about. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's kind of the, the, the brief history, uh, of what's going on there. And then from there, of course, Ho Chi Minh does not stop and say, yay, the Japanese have left. He ramps up his efforts, uh, against French occupation. At some point uh, thereafter, the French leave and the U.S. step in uh, to prevent the spread of communism, and we get the Vietnam War as we know it. But it's interesting, uh, looking back, that the U.S. did support uh, Ho Chi Minh and his efforts so uh, dramatically, I guess, uh, at that point, way back when, uh, against the Japanese. Now, you have incorporated those U.S those seven U.S. operatives in your force. In fact, I think you've themed the whole army around them, right? Yeah, that's right. So uh, according to my research, uh, these seven OSS operatives and uh, the Viet Minh partisans that they helped equip and train fought in at least one battle. Mm-hmm. Um, they uh, took care of a Japanese garrison. Uh, I, I don't know if I even want to try to pronounce Oh, uh, I'm going to be butchering some from. thin names later. Okay. So we, let this is a uh, <laughs> this is a safe place for mispronouncing names today. All right, forgive me, everyone, but uh, this garrison was at a town called Tan Trao. So they fought in at least one battle. Uh, shortly after the uh, the Japanese surrendered, and like you were saying, the Viet Minh didn't stop there. They ended up taking control of, of big cities and then getting into conflict with France and even Britain mm-hmm. very shortly after World War II. Um, 
so my theme, yes, was around these seven OSS operatives uh, and their interaction with uh, the Viet Minh, but it kind of extends a little bit beyond World War II, um, the following year or two. Uh, just kind of, there's there's a expanded scope for, I guess, if you want to do historical battles on the tabletop, what is possible. Exactly. This is not a, a part of history that is widely explored in Western media. Uh, and is not something that uh, a lot of people make models for. So this is a very, you would need to do a lot of converting for this. And having watched some of your videos and seen a lot of your pictures, you really have gone to town to create this force so that it visually suits what happened, given that there aren't really models for this. So let's start with the U.S. operatives because I think you found some really clever workarounds and then built in some really cool conversions to make them and their Vietnamese allies really suit what you wanted. Yeah, yeah, let's, uh, we'll start with the operatives. Um, probably because uh, miniatures-wise, they're the weakest mm -hmm. in the Army in the sense of, I I used the Merrill Marauders kit from mm. uh, Warlord Games. Um, now, these operatives were not Marines. <laughs> no. Um, but like you said, when you're looking at this force and trying to find miniatures, you're not going to find anything out there. Mm -hmm. um, and actually, since I've, I've done that um, U.S. Army in the Pacific conversion, I'm kind of rethinking maybe I, I need to revisit these operatives. Um, but I started with the Merrill's Marauders kit because um, the Merrill's Marauders were special forces like these guys. Um, you know, they've got the cutoff sleeves. Uh, they've got kind of the the ramshackle kit. Mm -hmm. uh, they they look very much special forces, even if it, it's Marines uh, a Marine kit. So they also look like they've been there for a while. They've been doing things. Yes. Nothing's new. Everything's sort of duct taped together, and look like they've. You know, haven't haven't seen a shower in a while. And, you know, that is kind of important for this because, as you say, they are in country. They are sort of avoiding the Japanese and they are training people out in the middle of nowhere to avoid the observation of the occupying force. Exactly. You, you think of these guys have been uh, in country for quite a while yeah. uh, and probably not, you know, in the Ritz Hotel New. or whatever the the equivalent of, of that in Vietnam. Um so they're looking pretty rough. Uh, so I felt like it, it was it was a pretty good compromise. Um, and they and they stand out from the rest of the army. So you can look at it and be like, okay, there's the the OSS operatives. Mm -hmm. um, that was kind of my compromise with them. Um, they're out of the box, except for one of the guys. There's a radio operator that parachuted in with these guys. So I wanted to make sure I had his radio uh, you know, modeled. Mm -hmm. So just some plastic card and green stuff and a little antenna. Brilliant. And uh, we got our, our radio operator. Now you did, I think you did change a couple of the hats. What I really liked about what you've done with the theme there is you've actually used the commander of the force as your, as the radio operator. Or maybe I'm jumping over to the listing rather than the modeling part of this conversation, but you're actually using the second in command as the leader and the leader as an air, oh, sorry, as a, observer uh because that was what his role really was on on the actual battlefield 
Yeah, that's right. Um, when we get, we'll talk more about it when we get to the list. Got but it. it's not a list that's built uh, for competitive games mm-hmm. or with that mindset. Right. It, it, it's more of uh, what do these guys have access to? What did they have? And that's why the partisans list actually works really well for these guys. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, yeah, so so the um, the ranking officer of this group, uh, Major Thomas, he's actually. Uh, an air observer in my list because that's what he did. Mm-hmm. And it's funny. He's, uh, he's there to give reconnaissance for, um, the U S air force. He actually ends up calling in a bunch of airstrikes, uh, when he's not supposed to, it's specifically not in his, uh, orders to do these things. Oops. And, uh, he does it anyways. So, um, apparently he, he has a pretty buddy, buddy relationship with Ho Chi Minh, and I think that played into it. Um, and then the uh, the air observer can take a buddy. So the radio operator is his buddy because he needs a way to call in the airstrike, mm-hmm. right? But that meant that the rest of the models were then an officer. And then I believe, I mean, I would be tempted to, if I was doing this, I'd be like, oh, yeah, here's my unit of U.S. Uh, staff. But I think you've done a really clever thing there of breaking them up over the over the army so that you actually have some of your squad leaders as these u.s models and it visually really pops it really makes it's very clear who's the quote-unquote sergeant or nco in that squad yeah if you think about it these uh the vietnamese probably didn't have much military training if any at all Uh, i really doubt the french or the japanese would allow them to to Mm -hmm. have that kind of training uh so when the americans come in um they're not only giving that like training them with uh, tactically, but they're also bringing American weapons with them. So they're bringing M1 carbines, uh, Garands, Thompson SMGs, bazookas, uh, Browning machine guns, um, basically anything that they can drop from an airplane safely uh, and training them on it. So, so yeah, they have these officers uh, leading the squads. Like you said, is a good way to, not only uh, visually represent an NCO really clearly, like, oh, this one guy that looks very different from the rest of the squad mm-hmm. is probably the NCO. Um, but it, they're also just useful kind of practically of like, we'll talk more about what I did for the Vietnamese miniatures, mm-hmm. but they're hard to come by. Oh, yeah. And so sometimes I can just throw in uh, one of these operatives into a mortar team or something and... That's one less guy I got to convert. Exactly. Well, let's dig into that then. Let's talk about the rest of the force. Because as we've talked about, there isn't models made for this time period for that side of the conflict. So what did you use for your Vietnamese forces? Yeah, this was an interesting project. (laughs) And I I really enjoyed it, but I don't think I I would want to undertake something like this again. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It it was quite a haul. But um, but yeah, it's part of why I I wanted to do this army because it's historically accurate. Like I said, the the partisan list works really well for it, and we'll get into that later. Um, But it was something that I... I didn't think I would run into ever (laughs) anywhere else. Um, uh, but the price of that, uh, you know, keyword uniqueness mm-hmm. is there are no miniatures. So I had to really work to, to figure this part out. Yeah. Um, so I think I have five or six different manufacturers 
in this army of miniatures. They're all metal. Um, if I recall correctly, the first one I came across was a um, it was a kit by Company B. Uh, is Filipino guerrilla kit. Um, I think it was 12 men uh, and actually a couple uh, women in there too, which was great. Um, but these guys all had American weapons, which were perfectly because that's what the OSS would have equipped the Vietnamese with. Exactly. Um, and they're, they're very, very civilian looking. Uh, some of them don't have shoes. Uh, they don't have any war gear outside of their rifle. Mm-hmm. Uh, um they look great. And so a lot of these um, were actually pretty workable out of the box. Um, but a couple of them had some issues with some headwear. Um, mm-hmm. I, th- I think a couple weapons m- may not have worked properly. Uh, and that's kind of a theme as I talk about the rest of the, yeah. the miniatures I used. Um, but I started with that kit. That was a really good base. 12 guys. Um mostly ready to go that is about the 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 best i could do Mm um out of the box so we started there uh another group i looked at or manufacturer was the assault group uh so i think they're an older company they've been around a while um but i had purchased a lot of their japanese miniatures so i had ditto known about them through there Mm -hmm. and they had uh they actually had Viet Cong miniatures for uh the vietnam war in the 60s and 70s mm-hmm. um and some of these kits were actually already equipped with american weapons they like barrs mm-hmm. yeah browning machine guns a lot of that stuff was still in use and was given to them by the americans or you know the vc uh in their case they captured it. acquired it mm-hmm. <laughs> yep <Yeah. laughs> um the biggest problem with these miniatures was uh, they had a lot, a lot of them had helmets that were very clearly yeah. uh, Viet Cong style. Um, and so those had to go. And so I had a couple, couple spare heads I could use. Um, but what I found that worked really well was just clipping off that helmet or even just filing it flat. Mm-hmm. And then I could use some, some green stuff and, and sculpt a, a, a rice patty hat. Yeah. And then, and you're good to go. You got <laughs> proper headwear. Uh, Empress um, also makes those hats, don't they? That you can, or are they a little on the yeah. small side? Uh, they might be small, but I, <laughs> I learned about those, or they they came out when I was pretty far into the process. Mm, so like, <laughs> oh, if I would have waited like, a little bit. Oh, I really wish. It's like my yeah. GI Joe army. The more I've worked on it, all of a sudden companies are now putting out models, and you're going, really could have used that Baroness about where, two where... years ago. <laughs> Where were you guys? <laughs> exactly. There was a couple other kits from the assault group that I used, and I had to do a lot of weapon swaps. Some of them had M16s. Mm-hmm. Sw- swap them from various uh, grand rifles or carbines or things that I could find from anywhere, Warlord or uh, or Rubicon or various places. Um, but they also had things like a, a, a team with a bazooka, which the OSS trained them on and mm-hmm. equipped them with. So that worked out great. Um, but yeah, it's kind of the same story for the rest of the manufacturers. I, uh, I used some models from Empress. Um, they also came out with a Vietnamese civilian kit. Mm-hmm. Um, I just got some of the, those, and they look great. They are awesome. Yeah. And they came out models. just in time. Um, I used a couple from a company called Gringo 40s. Mm-hmm. 
they are specifically for the Vietnam War in the 60s and 70s. Um, a couple weapon swaps yeah. fix that. And and I think that's it. Um, but yeah, it was it's quite a process sourcing these, um, figuring out what I could use, what I could, uh, you know, what I needed to chop up and and sculpt and um, and convert. And so I think about probably about forty percent of the miniatures in the army are converted. Um, some of that's a rifle swap, some of that's a head swap, some of it's both. Um, there's some, <laughs> some interesting models in there for sure. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, the effort is worth it though. Once you have all of that put together, painted on the tabletop, it means that you have something in hashtag unique that is completely <laughs> unique and does not look like anyone else's army on the tabletop. Now, partisan armies are often very unique to use that word again, because they are using a lot of models from a lot of places. I guess now there are some plastic kits that you can use to bulk out your forces. So, you know, maybe they're looking a little more standardized uh, only because people are maybe using the same models. Uh, but when I built a partisan army, I was using models from all over the place. And, you know, half the conversation I was having with people when I was playing against them was, where'd that model come from? Where'd that model come from? Where'd that model come from? And it really does lead to something that looks different. Yours takes that to a whole nother level. And that's just awesome. I love it. But as a longtime partisan player and uh, as someone who loves to talk shop, let's let's get a little crunchy here and talk about your list. Now, you said this is something that you wouldn't necessarily take competitively, but I'm fairly certain you do well with this. So let's talk shop. What's in your list? Now, I understand your you guys list for a slightly different point value than we do usually. Um, we usually play around 1,000 points, although all the events that we have in Melbourne throw that point value out the window, and it can be 19, like 991 points, 1,005 points, 1,111 points. We do all sorts of wacky stuff. So when I'm talking about listing at about 1,000 points, you know, that's just a rough ballpark. But you guys roughly run events or play at around 800 points. Is that right? Yeah, here in Salt Lake City, it's kind of become the norm uh, to run 800. I I really like this points level. Mm -hmm. It's, in my opinion, it's a good medium value between, you know, if you want to take some toys, you have the points to do it. But you can't take all the toys or, you know, you can't take one of everything um, or at least do that very effectively. So, And if you do, you don't have the troops to actually grab objectives because bolt action is at its heart generally. I mean, yes, I know there are kill point missions, but it's generally an objective mm -hmm. game. And if you do want to right. take all the toys, that's great. But it also means you're not winning any games. Yeah, it's going to hamper you a little bit. Um, so, I, And also 800 points, slightly slightly faster games mm -hmm. um that's also a big thing here um our community is fairly new and uh covid definitely stunted our growth <laughs> so yeah. um we haven't got a whole lot of games in the last uh year and a half or so um but yeah so we normally aim for 800 points my list uh again it's not it's not aiming for competitive um, but I, I don't think it's a crappy list, mm -hmm. but it's much more in my mind of this is what they had. 
Mm-hmm. Um, this is what the force actually was equipped with and had. Um, and also, <laughs> again, the, the lack of models. Uh, I can only yeah. take it so far. But uh, so here's where we're at. It's a single platoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we have a first lieutenant at regular. Um, and he's got a buddy. Uh, that first lieutenant is uh, technically the, the second in command of the the OSS team. Him and his buddy will both have submachine guns. Then for the infantry, these are all uh, partisan squads, uh, the late war version. Mm-hmm. So if I wanted to if I wanted to bump this list up to a thousand points, I would probably take these guys as gorillas just because I don't have access to a lot of these models. Yeah. Um, and probably my my thinking for gorillas would be less that they're they're super incredible soldiers, but they know the lay of the land, they know exactly. the terrain. Um, they're a little more capable that way. But anyway, yeah. so I've now, got hold on. For four folks who, partisan squad. Oh, so go ahead. hold on. For folks who aren't familiar with the partisan list, uh, the, the regular late war squad is regular. And when you're talking about guerrilla and bumping them up, that's a veteran squad. That's right. Yeah. So I've got four of these late war partisan squads. They're regular. Um, again, they kind of have a, mi- a mishmash of, uh, of weaponry. Uh, again, that's that's due to the models, but um, I've got I've got two squads that are the NCO with uh, the submachine gun, and then seven infantry with rifle. Um, that's just my basic squads. Uh, I do have one that is all submachine guns, mm-hmm. and that's one of the one of the perks of taking a partisan list is you can just load them up with submachine guns. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I've got another squad that's got a light machine gun in there um so not a maybe except for the submachine gun squad there's not a whole lot of flashiness here right but it is four eight-man squads um and i feel like gives me a pretty good spread around the table um gives me some staying power uh and i have enough infantry to hold objectives now i think it's important to remind people who maybe aren't familiar with partisan lists because though partisan lists do make appearances it's not one of those lists you see in every event or at every table uh, by any country mile. So the Army Special Rules, we have the Fieldcraft Rule, which means you can start the game and ambush if you want. But the other part of that rule, and the one that I always use, was in the first turn of the game, any partisan unit can treat rough ground and obstacles as open ground for the purposes of movement. So they almost get a ranger-esque bonus move. They don't. It's still part of their regular move, but they ignore cover. And I found as a partisan player that was crucial at getting my troops to where they needed to be um, without getting hammered by enemy fire, uh, depending on the tabletop, of course, or to get into key positions quickly and then sort of digging in. Um, In addition, they have the infiltrate rule, which means they have the U.S. rule that they ignore the minus one for coming on to the table, either in reserve or outflank, which is also super handy. But they also have the hidden bomb rule, which is awesome, Um, which means you put three counters around the tabletop. And if somebody walks up to them, there's a chance that they will blow up. And when they blow up, I believe it's a heavy howitzer hit, which is pretty awesome. Uh, however, that is only on a six before everyone starts screaming cheese. However, it does feel real good when it happens. And it is a hell of a deterrent. It's funny how many times people avoid them like the plague when, you know, it, it's a very unlikely chance that it's going to occur. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely a, a mental warfare tool, but when it does go off, all right, it's so satisfying. It is. So those rules really do benefit the basic troopers in this list. And you have four solid regular squads decked out. And you have the one SMG squad that is, yep, there to you know lay down some hurt uh, if you need to, has some teeth. What else do you have in that list to back them up? Yeah, so I've got a couple of weapons teams. Um, and this is kind of why I was excited about this list and, and tying it in with uh, the actual force and the history, um, because the partisan list came with everything that uh, I needed uh, to build this out historically accurate. So I've got a, a medium machine gun team. Mm-hmm. Uh, people have opinions about the MMG team in bold action, uh, but these guys use them, so it, it's in my list. Yep. Uh, I think I think it's too iconic not to have in a World War II list. That's my opinion. <laughs> my partisan list had one. Um, um, it's because I ran five, at the time, the norm in a lot of events that I was playing in was one platoon. Two platoons just wasn't a thing. This was a long time ago, guys, so give me some, give me a break there. But I had five squads, and I wanted more bodies on the table, and I used that fifth, or sorry, I used that machine gun team as a five-man rifleman squad because... It's roughly throwing out the same number of pins. But that was one of my anchor squads, quote-unquote. I didn't move them. I stuck them near an objective. And if I needed to run with them, I would to get to where I needed to go. I just looked at them like a a rifleman squad that I would just sit in one place and throw out pins at a distance. And, yeah, work to treat. Um, Yes, you had to be careful about enemy snipers. But as a partisan list, uh, especially with that move at the start of the game— Small teams, fixed teams, get that move in the first turn. They can get where they need to go. And then, you know, if your enemy, if the enemy put a sniper somewhere and went, oh, I'm going to get your machine gun in the first turn, as long as you got that first dice, you could kind of wave at them as you run behind something and say, no, you're not, uh, and get somewhere where you wouldn't normally be able to because you were either in cover or had to get around cover uh, to prevent that from happening. And I, I think that machine gun teams are not a bad idea in a partisan list. No, I think those are really good points. Uh, as long as you know where your enemy sniper is, I think it really opens up the MMG to actually mm-hmm. some good plays. Um, and I've got the model with the Browning machine gun, which they would have been equipped with, so it worked out great. Um, next up, I have a, a medium order team with the spotter. Now, medium order is pretty much an auto-include in any list I take. That indirect fire is just is so essential to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and guess what? The OSS trained these guys with mortars. So there you go. <laughs> um, so it's very viable. Um, next up, I have a sniper team uh, to deal with my enemy's MMG team. There you go. If they decide to take one, uh, a sniper team in the jungle. That's also quite so iconic, iconic. I feel right. like. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So we got to have that represented. Um, and finally, at 800 points, uh, I, I wrap it up with a, uh, a bazooka team. Uh, so again, the OSS trained these guys with bazookas, and just the fact that the partisan list allows a bazooka, such a, a relief for me because, you know, earlier we were talking about taking different toys in your list. The partisans don't have a whole lot of toys to choose from. Right. Uh, so when it comes to dealing with armor, uh, the bazooka is... That's my big, scary anti-tank weapon. Yeah. When I ran the Partisans, because it was Warsaw Uprising, 
They didn't have bazookas. They didn't have piats. Mm -hmm. So for me, I was really light on anti-tank. So I, at, at different points, I took a light AT gun because they can take light AT guns or light howitzers. Um, and I also took a looted Hetzer uh, because that was one of the things that they could do. But you, of course, are playing at 800 points to get what you need for your theme. You know, you don't necessarily have room for a vehicle, it sounds like, uh, especially that list being so limited. But uh, and it doesn't sound like now I don't know the units particularly well in that conflict. I'm assuming they didn't use many looted vehicles. There's not any recorded history that I could find right. or any examples of them. Um, and here this whole time I've been talking about how there's examples of them using these weapons. So they're modeled. Right. Uh, well, then I <laughs> broke that rule. Uh Oh, uh, because if I do want to get to a thousand points or a similar level, it would be nice to have something to, to fill in those points. Yeah. Um, I know that there, there was Japanese armor mm -hmm. in French Indochina. Mm -hmm. uh, so I don't think it's too unlikely that one or more could fall into uh, Viet Minh hands. So as a fun little project, I found an old, old warlord resin chiha at my local game store. Mm -hmm. And I had already painted up a couple of them for uh, my Japanese army. Mm -hmm. So thought, what could I do different with this one? Uh, I decided to stick a, v <laughs> a Viet Minh flag on top and you've got your, your looted vehicle. Brilliant. Uh, so of course that, that comes in inexperienced and unreliable. And unreliable. Woo. Yep. 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 So it's a real powerhouse of a unit. Um, but it is a fun little flavor thing. And again, if I need to pad out some points, it's a good way to uh, to do that. And I have yet to run into anyone who really minds me bringing something like that. Yeah, the Chiha is hardly a broken tank. Uh, and it fits your theme. Uh, I do I do think it's very funny, though, as the, as the partisan player who ran a Hetzer occasionally, that people would just dismiss the Hetzer as, oh, it's inexperienced. It's minus one to hit. It's never going to hit. The number of times that thing put a hole through the middle of people's tanks, because it's got a big gun for a little tank, and just going, yeah, surprise, catch. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, that bolt action happens, man. There's still a chance of it hitting. And when it does, whew, heavy AT gun is nothing to sneeze at. So, yeah, it's it's a good time. But with uh, Chiha, with the light howitzer, even with that minus one, even if it has additional pins making it harder to hit, you can, because it fires indirectly, you can lob that and you're still hitting on a six. And that is way better than hitting on a six on six. So, yeah, it's it's not bad. Not to mention, if you get to range in with it, that feels good. And if someone gets close, you can just hose them with machine yep. gun fire if you turn that turret around. So, yeah, good times. Yep. Yeah, there are two MMGs on there. So 10 shots, even with the minus one for inexperience, is still 10 shots. Exactly. Now, I, I've been thinking about your list, mainly because getting ready for Easter Front, I, one of the Gumby lists I'm thinking about running is one of my Chinese lists. And uh, not too long before lockdowns kicked in, I was able to get, let me back up and say that I have a, a full nationalist Chinese list that I run that was painted by the unbelievably talented Patch. And... 
at, at some point, Patch knew that I had that army, and he had been painting some pulp models uh, that he no longer wanted, um, and he knew that I had the army to match them. So he uh, offered uh, the extra pulp models for me, and so I ended up with 30 extra, quote-unquote, civilian-esque dressed um, fighting, they, some of them have swords, some of them have some machine guns, some of them have rifles, some of them have pistols, and I thought, wow, this is this is cool. Yes, I will absolutely jump on those. And yes, I've run a couple of games and used them, but with lockdowns and whatnot, I just haven't had the chance. But during lockdowns, I got to thinking, what if I ran that, not necessarily as a Chinese list, but as a partisan list, uh, because my army is built around the army of, Sha uh, sorry, the Battle of Shanghai. And so, uh, you know, there were a lot of people um, fighting the Japanese occupiers. Uh, some were dressed like civilians and were sort of ad hoc units. It was called the Stalingrad of the East, to yeah. give you some ideas. So I was saying, well, maybe I could use the partisan list. Uh, but then I got to thinking I could just add a lot of guerrilla units to my existing Chinese army, and that got me thinking about your army. Have you ever considered perhaps running your army as a Chinese nationalist list using, or as a communist list using uh, guerrilla cells for your basic squads? Because it might give you a little bit more... If you wanted to go somewhere different with the list, sure, the national rules would be different, but you would get more inexperienced dudes. I know you're not necessarily at this point looking to bulk out your troop slots, um, but if you're <laughs> looking for more guys on the tabletop, uh, the Chinese do get that, that extra free squad, much like the Soviets, and that might be an interesting thing to do. Your guerrilla squads would be more expensive, but they would have slightly different rules than what you have otherwise it might be a, something you could do to mix things up especially since that allows you to take a chiha <laughs> and i've got one painted <laughs> mm -hmm. the only thing you wouldn't be able to do with that list i believe is take a bazooka because uh that was just not one of the options um of course i'm going to be really embarrassed because I know the X and Y squad is built into the Chinese list. No, they can't take a bazooka. But yeah, there's, there's a lot of extra options in there. I don't know. Just food for thought. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a really good idea. I mean, you know, these army lists are, I don't, how would you describe it? It's, it's a Chinese army list is what it's called, but yeah, you you can kind of use it to represent different things, right? Um, mm -hmm. There's a lot of talk right now about uh, the late war free French. Mm -hmm. People are saying just run an American force and say they're French because they use the same equipment. You know, they look <laughs> they look uh, pretty similar. Um, and same thing with the partisans. You know, like you said earlier, people think of of France or maybe Poland mm -hmm. uh, or maybe Yugoslavia, um, but it's kind of just it, it it it's a a theme, I guess, mm -hmm. more than uh, this is really <laughs> just for France or, you know. So, uh, yeah, that's a really good point of looking at the Chinese force, um, getting to use the same models for different two way. different armies mm -hmm. with different special rules just expands what you can do with it, right? It really does. And if you run the guerrilla cells in the Chinese, yes, they're slightly more expensive, than what you would normally have. You could run them as inexperienced regular veteran, depending on your point values. But why they're more expensive is they actually get all of the partisan special rules 
except for the bomb, but you would be able to forward deploy all of your guerrilla cells. So you would have more of an opportunity to infiltrate them forward and then move them through cover in the first turn for free, which is pretty good. So I don't know, just food for thought. Um, if you want to do something slightly different, might be fun. Yeah, that's a really good point. That's got me thinking if I were to try and be competitive with them, maybe maybe that would be a good route to go. Uh, I, I reckon the partisans are pretty good uh, as 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 is. However, if uh, if you wanted to do something slightly different, um, because I know you have that Chiha and I know that's in that list, which is why I bring that up. Well, Jordan, before we move on, do you have any final thoughts about your army? Because I think it's really unique and very cool. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty proud of it. I can't lie. Um, and I think it's, it's got a lot of, uh, lifespan outside of just, you know, I mentioned one battle that, that this force fought in. Um, I think I mentioned earlier, uh, shortly after world war two ended, France came right back, you know, French Indochina was their, their colony and they wanted to retake control of it. Um, and the Vietnamese weren't too happy about that. So, uh, by this time, the OSS uh, agents had left. Um, but in late 1945, the Viet Minh started fighting with uh, the French um, military that came back to kind of occupy French Indochina again and also disarm the Japanese soldiers that were still there. Uh, so you get into this really interesting period where uh, the Vietnamese are fighting the French that are already there. France asked for help. And Great Britain actually sends a lot of their soldiers that fought in the Pacific that are mm -hmm. experts in jungle warfare to Vietnam to uh, actually take down the Viet Minh and give control back to France. Uh, there's a really great Mark Felton's production video. Who's, he's a popular YouTuber um, for military history. He's got a great video on this conflict. Um, but essentially what happens is the British take over and start fighting the Viet Minh in doing so they need more bodies and the British actually enlist the help of the Japanese that they were sent there to disarm. And so the Japanese and British are fighting the Viet Minh, uh, end of 1945 into 1946 madness, um, right? It create, yeah, yeah, it's a real, it's a real wonky situation, but, this is right after World War II, so you're still using all the same equipment. Exactly. In, in bold action terms, it's all the same rules. It's not like you've advanced to the Korea book or something, but you can use this Viet Minh army against British Gurkhas and Japanese soldiers on the same side. Because um, that needs to course, happen in somebody's you know tournament list. Not. <laughs> yeah, let me know where that theater selector is. I'll, I'll take a look at it. <laughs> exactly. Most OP thing ever. Uh, right. But that I mean, it's really fascinating if you ignore the Japanese being conscripted by the British or being brought in as well. And you just have the Vietnamese fighting against the British and or French forces. That makes your army almost one of those forces that works against both the Axis and the Allies, which is really fascinating. And that's cool. Like it, it really does open up your possible opponents for your army, I know that my Chinese army is only ever going to fight Japanese, you know, historically. Uh, right. 
but that's fascinating. That's really cool. Yeah, it's a really weird conflict, but it opens up a lot of possibilities um, just for what you can do on the tabletop, mm -hmm. especially if you want to keep some sort of historical accuracy or plausibility. Um, so that's one of the things that I'm really excited about this army. I feel like it's going to have some lifespan, which is good because I put way too many hours into it. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, uh, I'm super happy with it. And for everyone else out there listening, uh, World War II is such a big conflict. Mm -hmm. There's so many different possibilities. Um, tons of different nations sent troops. And, uh, you know, a Google search is what got me to this army. So if you're looking for something different, uh, you know, a, a short internet search is, is all it takes, and it can really take you uh, to some fun hobby adventures. Definitely. I mean, that's, though we have all those awesome Osprey books and historical records, uh, sometimes just to find those nooks and crannies in places that you least expect, Google's surprisingly good for it. I know that that's how I got to my force. Should we shift gears to something a little colder? Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, I lived in Melbourne when Bolt Action first came out, and I wanted to do something that was a little different than the people I was playing against. This is before we started traveling interstate to play in events, and it was when the Armies of Italy and the other minor Axis Powers book came out, and I was playing with the LRDG guys, and we were constantly trying to one-up each other with our army lists, and I looked at the Finns and went, wow. This is cool. I know nothing about these guys. I didn't even know the Winter War existed. Uh, don't shoot me. So I had to find out what that was all about, and I was captivated. The, the underdog of the Soviets pouring soldiers into Finland and being thrown back in the Winter War, I was just captivated. And so I was looking for good models for it. Uh, and yes, Warlord had the five-pack of Finnish ski troops and snowsuits, and yeah, I got a couple of squads of those, but I didn't want to run an entire army of that because in the nicest way possible, those models are a little on the older side. And um, because they have the skis and the way they're positioned, they do look a little static because they're standing on their skis. And basically from the waist down, they're all very similar. And I wanted something a little bit more dynamic because I'd been working on the, my partisan army back then. Uh, and I, I was looking around, and I found Brigade Games in their ends-of-the-world range had three blisters, one of which was a medium machine gun team, of Finn soldiers in snowsuits. And so I, I bought a couple packs as a test, and they actually scaled perfectly with the Warlord ski suit models that I'd already purchased. And so I started slowly painting those, as the project that I was working on after my long-suffering German army from those days that I worked on for almost three years, and I wanted to do something different. And I started painting the Finns as a showcase of the best of what I could do with my painting at the time. And so they took a really long time to paint because they're all white. Uh, yep. And so I worked on those on and off for a couple of years, and then fast forward to 2017, I thought I would take the Finns to Australia's largest bolt action tournament, CanCon. And I spent a good chunk of my school holiday painting Finns. And I got most of what I needed where I needed it. 
as far as the army being built, and I'd built you know most of it and primed it, and I'd painted three squads of riflemen and a number of other support teams and was ready to go. And then I burnt out on painting white unbelievably hard, and I just couldn't even look at it. So I actually contacted the tournament organizer, uh, Pete West, and said, look, I just can't get half of my army painted in a week and a half. I just can't do it. This is impossible. And he was very nice and let me shift to my um, Sikh army, my the Indian carrier list that I ran that year and did very well with and enjoyed the hell out of. But it meant that the 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 fins went on the shelf because I really didn't want to paint any more of those models for a while. And actually, I didn't paint another fin until uh, lockdown in 2020, where I was looking at my shelf of half-finished models, and I saw the fins and realized I would really like to use these. Now, I'd actually used the fins as a Soviet army at one point, using a big tank. Uh, I actually I ran an IS-3, kids, the most point <laughs> ineffective tank in the world. I love it when people are like, oh, the, the Tiger tank is so points ineffective. Put an IS-3 in your pipe and smoke it, buddy, because that's yeah. like, I think it's 600 points. Uh it, it's, yeah, it's something ridiculous. It's armor 11 all around or something Oh, yeah, like that. it's armored all around at 11. Like, you're not getting through that puppy. However, no. it's got one heavy AT gun and a medium machine gun on the hull. It's not like this thing's going to ruin your day as far as, right. um, you know, it, it's just really hard to kill. Uh, and that, unfortunately, when you use the, the point algorithm to create a vehicle in bolt action that leads to things like the KV-1, for example, being unbelievably expensive. The IS-3 is even worse. So um, because that thing was such a point sink, I actually got to field my fins, and I know this is sacrilege, as Soviets, because at the time, there weren't Soviet ski troop or uh, winter troops, really. I know uh, West Wind made some, and I actually had a couple and painted them for my fins, which was where I got the idea of switching them. Because in the Soviet book, there's a picture of ski troops, and they look mysteriously like the warlord uh, Finns and Snowsuit Army. Anyway, mm -hmm. I really wanted to run these as Finns at some point, uh, because that was the whole point. So I painted up another squad of riflemen and added a lieutenant, which I didn't have previously, because I had only painted up Soviet characters. So uh, I pulled out the old fins and got them there. So my force ended up as a sniper team, uh, a couple of lieutenant teams, and four squads of riflemen. And I'd also picked up a Trenchworks T-28 uh, back in the old days of uh, the Bolt Action Alliance, back when it was boltaction.net, and I did a review article on that. And so I was using that for my fins, and I loved that model so much that I actually got another one uh, <laughs> because I picked up the Flames of War Rising Sun book to learn more about Japanese forces in World War II because um, Flames of War, though I've never played the game, I, I do really like some of their source books for giving me alternative places to look historically around unit formations and the history behind units. Um, Soviet naval troops, for example, have a wonderful PDF from Flames of War. If you're ever looking to build an army of Black Death, that's a great place to start because that gives you all sorts of ideas of you know, what actually appeared on the field 
Um, yeah. Yeah. So I did that. And in Rising Sun, I found a tiny, tiny, tiny little reference to thin, heavy tank companies, uh, which were basically just T-28s um, that they captured from the Soviets. And so that then they added extra armor to. And I went, yeah, that's cool. Uh, and I have this T-28 and I really enjoyed it. And I like painting armor a lot. And I mm -hmm. often am faster painting armor than I am infantry. However, the trench work kit is covered in rivets. And I, I hand paint rivets. So the first one was hard to paint. Is <laughs> um, a beautiful kit as it is. So I kind of cheated when I got the second one in the mail. And um, because I knew I would be uh, using sponge chipping to weather it, I... Please don't kill me, fans out there. I shaved all the rivets off. <laughs> I literally shaved all but, I think, five rivets off the entire tank. And then that made life a lot easier. So I ended up with one green T-28 fully highlighted with all the rivets on it and one chipped T-28 that you can't tell because of the chipping that I've shaved all the rivets off. And I painted them both up and had them ready. And so I looked at this list of models, and I realized that this is actually an army. Uh, and so I actually dug back through uh, Google, and I discovered more information about Finn heavy tank companies, uh, which were, as I mentioned, usually just organizations of T-28s. Uh, given that there were only, uh, there's different historical records, between four and six T-28s used by the Finns full stop across the war. Uh, and the most accurate that I could find is that the Finn Heavy Tank Company was used in the retaking of Corellia, and it was one T-34-76 and four T-28s. Now, it was reinforced by regular troops, other sources say there were uh, Jaeger brigades, which, you know, you, and given where it is, I know that some people have said you could use CC troops for that, or the Jaeger troops from the Finn book, which are just veteran troops. So just to keep it basic, um, I recently played in a 750-point uh, event. I took two T-28s, which are really good because they have all of the machine guns on them. For those not familiar with T-28s, they're the size of a bus and they have a yep. ton of turrets on them, all of which have machine guns. So yeah, they're, they're kind of a big deal in bolt action, but they are very lightly armored. They're armor seven. And because they're fins, though they're regular, they do have the unreliable rule, which means if you put a pin on them, they actually take a second pin. So that means that they are often <laughs> a liability as well. So, right. um, yeah, I, I really wanted to build a force around this. But because I was playing in a 750-point event, I also knew that people wouldn't necessarily always have the AT assets because they wouldn't have the points, going back to what you were saying before. So mm -hmm. I just bulked it out with regular rifle squads. I did not add Tough Fighter. I didn't add skis. I didn't add uh, very many SMGs. They were just regular squads. I didn't add the Panzerfaust because at that point in the war, Finns weren't using them, even though it was the continuation war. 
Uh, and it was just basic four squads of basic riflemen, uh, each with the uh, NCO with a submachine gun, and a couple of uh, squads had an additional guy with an SMG. Uh, and the only other thing that I had in the list were two regular lieutenants with a buddy with submachine guns because I had to pay the lieutenant tax, as some people call it, to get the second platoon to get the second T-28. Now, that meant I had 40 points left over. And one of the things I've discovered in reading this uh, was that heavy tank platoons or companies were often accompanied by reconnaissance forces and vehicles in the form of ski troops so one of my squads has skis even though i didn't have the points to pay for it i know op sorry uh but i also <laughs> took a thin ba20 armored car which again is unreliable because it's a looted soviet vehicle but is an armor seven again uh armored car with an lmg in the turret so i again i didn't think it was the most broken thing in the world it is a light machine gun vehicle so i took that and uh, if you want to hear more about how i did with that list please go back to the episode where i talked to reese from sounds of battle about our uh tournament ex uh, list it is called uh, a tale of two tournaments so yeah i, I was pretty happy with that <laughs> but that my whole goal was that that wouldn't be the end-all and sale of that army. Um, I have, as I said, painted a couple of small teams. I do have two anti-tank rifles because they were used to support the T-28s in those uh, endeavors. And I also mm -hmm. have included a sniper because fins. Um, but I also right. <laughs> want to put a medium, I have a medium howitzer, sorry, not howitzer, a medium mortar that I want to build and add to that force. So once I add the mortar, once I add the sniper, uh, that's another hundred points. And so it leaves me about a hundred points. I'm thinking I'm going to add one anti-tank rifle and probably another squad of riflemen, um, because I really want to bulk out the basic troops. And I think that's my army. Um, now, those aren't CC, so they're not getting the weird advance in ambush rule that everyone seems to assume all fins have. They don't. Um, but they, the fins do have naturally strong rules. Again, I'm going to veer strongly away from Panzerfaust because they just weren't used at that part of the war. And I think, I think that's my army. Uh, any questions, Jordan? Because I know I've been talking for a long time. Uh, I've got a lot of comments. <laughs> I me. love this list. I love this list so much. Um, first of all, with those two uh, T-28s, like you said, they're big. These are bus-sized tanks with tons of turrets. They look mm -hmm. weird. If you, They almost look uh, steampunk-ish. They do. Um, mm -hmm. so, when, so what I love is it, when someone sees your army on the table, maybe before they know what it is, they're going to see those two T-28s they're automatically going to be like, what is this army? Uh, <laughs> right. And that opens all, that opens all kinds of doors, but also when you think of a standard Finnish list, uh, this is something you and I talk about a lot, I feel like, but mm -hmm. people, people would, would think, uh, okay, well, there's going to be Kakapario squads in there. There's going to be Sissy Recons. There's going to be Panzerfaust. Uh, they're going to be doing mm -hmm. all kinds of shenanigans. And I love that people would uh, either see your army on the table or look at your list and be like, what is this? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what is this? Isn't what you expect. It's almost like it, someone would expect the Japanese army to be all spears, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, and so, 
<laughs> it opens conversation. It's a, it's a, it seems like a very fun army to play yeah. and a unique one to play against. Mm-hmm. Um, again, you probably won't see a Finnish fist, uh, a Finnish force like this out there. Yeah. Um, so that is super cool. Um, and then you're, you're talking about the miniatures and, um, moving forward. I don't know how involved you are in the 3d printing oh, world. There are some wonderful models coming out. Right? Yes. I, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't have a printer. I'm not, I don't really know how those things work. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I am a part of a couple history 3d printing groups and, um, there are these fantastic finished 3d prints that are available out there, uh, for infantry and for various, uh, teams and stuff. And I was wondering if you had considered those, uh, for expanding your force. I had, uh, however, the look of the brigade and the warlord models is fairly specific. And Mm -hmm. I actually held up my computer next to my models and looked back and forth <laughs> and realized, wow, these don't match. Um, okay. They're very, I think the 3D print models possibly match what we would expect from more modern Warlord kits now, but the ones that I have are very, I don't want to say slight, but they are skinnier than those other yeah. ones, and I think they would absolutely stick out. I don't think visually they would match, Man, I have even considered, what if I started a new Finn army and then went, yeah, no, that's, <laughs> that is madness. Um, now, I have had a couple of people mention to me, um, you know, specifically around my model choice and my unit choice, I wanted to really match the theme of the forces that were taking part, and I'm going to butcher this because it's Finnish, mm-hmm. but the... <laughs> Karhumaki uh, Povensa Offensive, uh, which took place in November, December and uh, of 1941 and January 1942, where this particular unit fought. My force is entirely themed around a particular battle that took place in the 5th of December of 1941, where two of the T-28s refused to start because they were so ramshackle and beaten up, uh, and it was minus 30 degrees Celsius, uh, and just two of them would not start. So they got two of them to start, and there were problems with the T-34, so it also didn't take place in this conflict. Um, I had trouble finding what infantry were being used specifically in that conflict, because there's a lot of information around what that tank brigade fought alongside, or I should say company, not brigade, because they didn't have enough um, tanks for that. But I'm pretty sure they were either Jakari veteran troops or just regular Finn riflemen. So I went with that. And also, a lot of what I wanted to do, I was looking at much broader parts of the conflict, but they were all taking part in more... Uh, temperate times of the year where not everyone was wearing the snowsuits and my army is totally snowsuit centric. So I was looking for something that took place in the dead of winter and I figured, hey, minus 30 degrees, I'm guessing there's some snow on the ground. And the one picture I've seen from that conflict had snow up to people's eyeballs. So I figured this would be perfect for my army. But yeah, I, I really should 
I don't want to snow weather the tank that I spent a million years highlighting every rivet on. I think that's my one visual conce- uh, concession to this army is sure it isn't snow camouflage like everything else is, but <laughs> I, I'm just going to let that one ride. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, the, it, it's the uh, hobby companies out there. They need to come out with a, like a spray or something. You oh. just spray some snow on your model and then it's water soluble and you just wipe it off and you're good to go for exactly right. Temperate climates. But man, I found out tons of really interesting information about T28s. They had so many serious tactical weaknesses. I mean, basically everyone knew they were terrible tanks going into World War Two. But uh, quite a few of them were used against the Finns in the Winter War and in early parts of the Continuation War. And these were the ones that were captured and reused by the Finns later. And the Finns talked at length about how terrible these tanks were. And they they were overly complex. And they required something like 150. They needed repairs after less than 150 hours of use. Not combat, just use. Um, and they had to be completely overhauled every 200 hours of driving. So these weren't great. And I think the, uh, the unreliable rule completely matches what these are on the tabletop. And I think it really adds an interesting element to yep. playing them. And I think it balances them out. I should also point out, though, that in the most recent Warlord FAQ, they did fix the T-28 entry in the Soviet book because the T-28 very clearly has another machine gun on the back of its turret. In addition to, you can pay to upgrade a um, pintle mount, which is part of the original mistake in the book. They have not fixed the Finn one, so um, I do not use the extra machine gun on the back of the turret because it, it's not there. Although if I wanted to, technically, I could just say, um, it's the rear of the machine gun. It's the rear machine gun firing, even though it's a pintle. It would just mean my tank is now open-topped, which with Unreliable is a really bad idea. Uh, yeah. But yeah, um, that. But it, look, the other thing is Finns actually miscrewed the T-28s. Finn commanders like to sit in the T-28s loader seat. Um, and so they often complained that they were blind and that was the best way that they could see. And um, <laughs> there's actually many stories of or several stories of Finn commanders walking or tank commanders walking behind their tanks and ordering their troops or sorry, the tanks from outside of the tank because then they could see because they were basically blind in the tank. So, again, I think the unreliable rule works really well for that. Again, a lot of fun list. I really do dig playing with it. Yeah, that might be a fun little modeling opportunity if you have a tank commander mm-hmm. that follows your T-28s around. <laughs> and then you can have to explain that to your opponent. I almost um, feel like that could be a cool one of the alternate lieutenants for the army is just a tank commander who's walking behind the tank. But, you know, we'll see how it goes. That, that's a great idea, actually. Uh, before we started recording this, you were telling me that uh, this list has maybe stirred up a little bit of controversy in your area. Do you want to fill fill me in on that? Not necessarily in my community, but it raised eyebrows when I first posted pictures of it uh, where people were saying, whoa, two T-28s. What the hell? Like, those are really good. And I went, yeah, they are. But I think a lot of people have assumed, again, 
because I, I spoke to several people uh, in other metas who messaged me to say, that's not like you. This looks like something from our meta. And I went, okay, you need to realize these are not CC veteran troops that move and then go into ambush with the plus one to hit. They're just regular right. riflemen. Also, no Panzerfaust. Also, unreliable tanks. And um, once I explained that, most people said, oh, yeah, I get it now. That makes a lot more sense. Because I really am trying to limit the... I don't want it to be an unpleasant experience for my opponent, um, but I really want to take this, as I call it, the two towers list, where I have you know, the two big... Uh, tanks running around uh, supported by riflemen. And it is, look, I have played with it several times now. It is hardly uh, what you would call a quote-unquote weak list. Um, the Finn national rules definitely buff regular riflemen because once half of them are gone, they upgrade to veteran. And if you go into ambush, yes, they do get a plus one to hit when they shoot which are great rules. And again, they also don't suffer from the minus one from coming on the board, which again is a big deal. It is a fun list. I think it has teeth, but I also don't think it's really going to ruin anyone's day unless you have um, an opponent who doesn't necessarily have any anti-tank options, which is one thing that I kind of ran into at the event. One of my opponents only had... Um, Panzerfaust and a flamethrower team, uh, which, while those are very effective uh, anti-tank elements, they're also not very long-ranged, and I had right. two T-28s bearing down on them with all the machine guns. Uh, so, for better or for worse, I think the list is better against some things than others, but I also don't think it's overwhelming. Um, a lot of the T-28s spend a lot of the games with a lot of pins, one in one game, one got to seven pins and the other one got to eight pins. Uh, and all I have to say is thank God for the second edition rally rule, because in first edition, <laughs> I would have been pinned out. But the fact that uh, I got to make those rally checks without counting the pins on my rolls made life a lot easier. But yeah, that's that's my theme. And it's yeah, it's been a labor of love. I, I'm, I'm really digging it. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to adding the mortar and another squad of riflemen and then fielding it as a, a, a full reinforced platoon. And it also has, or I guess two full reinforced platoons, but it also has the element of if I want to try running it as a CC historical themed list, not the cheesemonger list or Jakari veterans or just a generic reinforced platoon, I can drop one of the T-28s. They're only 125 points. Um, right. And then just add in a few other things, like maybe a light AT gun and uh, a tow, because I have a reindeer sled that I'm dying to use uh, for this force. Uh, I already have a snowman that is part of my display board. So, you know, to just add some tongue-in-cheek to it and have some fun. But yeah, I I'm, I'm excited about running this list. And doing something, as you say, that's not your standard, quote-unquote, thin list that you might see somewhere else. Um, it's just fun. Yeah, exactly. Hashtag unique. <laughs> you heard it here first. Now, I guess in closing, this has actually led to a weird backdoor second army that I hadn't considered because I mentioned before that I had run my Finns as Soviets in an event 
And so I have a pile of Soviet armor because it was a it was I, I painted up a bunch of these vehicles for a list that was uh, or for an event that was either a tank war event or one that favored tanks. So I have uh, an SU-76I, the covered version, which is a regunned uh, German tank. I have an yeah an SU, the heavy howitzer version, the big one, the 152. Mm -hmm. um, I have the IS-3. I have some consommelets painted up. I have a whole bunch of other things, including trucks and support units. Uh, and I have all the characters I need for a Soviet army. The one thing I don't really have... Oh, I also have a squad of uh, Black Death naval troops painted up in winter garb. What I don't actually have is the rest of a Soviet army. So um, having played recently uh, with the Finns, it really kind of got my juices going to, to play more bolt action. And yes, I've been working on various bolt action, weird side tangent armies for a long time. Um, with my G.I. Joe project, which I know I'm mentioning again. Sorry, guys. But it got me thinking, what if I actually had a Soviet army? So I actually went through my bits box and realized I'm drowning in Soviet models. I have literally four armies worth of Soviets. I have an entire scout army. I have an entire assault engineer army. I have an entire sailor army. And I have a generic, regular, quote-unquote, boring uh, Soviet army in great coats, metal ones, and went, I should probably do something with these. And so I pulled out a lot of the Black Death because they match what I already have. Um, and before everyone starts, or a few people in the background start raising their eyebrows and saying, oh, only taking the tough fighter troops, they all have SMGs. So, you know, for better or for worse, I'm paying for my tough fighter. Right. And I'm painting up... Uh, basically three more squads of Black Death so then I can run my Soviets as a Soviet naval assault force. And I'm yeah. thinking I might add a squad of scouts and or a squad of assault engineers because naval forces, going back to what I said before about Flames of War having really good resources for some of those weird armies... I, I found out a lot more information about naval brigades, and they did use both of those forces. So I might add something as the fifth squad, and then I need to paint up probably just a regular inexperienced free squad um, to add to that using some of the metal greatcoat models I got from Artisan, um, which match what I already have. So look, I think it's going to be interesting. We'll see. Uh, I, I did play against an all-SMG army at the event the other day, and uh, man, that A, it's brutal close, but B, you have to get there. Uh, and right. having played against that, it really did kind of give me some ideas tactically about how to address that on the tabletop, and I think that might be interesting and fun. So mm -hmm. I think that's something I'm going to tackle next. But again, only because this Finn army led me to painting these extra things and just where I've gone with it. I also have a disgusting number of toes, guns, and vehicles for the Soviets. So uh, it might just be that I paint up three good squads of Black Death and I use them as the soldiers if I run a Tank Wars event. Uh, but mm -hmm. we'll see what we end up with. Um, yeah, 
I think that's where I'm going with that. I know it's a little more vanilla than I normally run in a list, and it's probably a lot more, has more teeth than a lot of what I run, uh, but it is no less historical. Mm -hmm. Uh, I actually have the dates and the battles that I'm looking specifically to match up with the tanks and the vehicles um, and the uniforms. I just don't have that in front of me because I wasn't prepared to necessarily talk about that today, but it might be fun. It's funny how those armies come out of uh, spaces. You weren't looking to build it. You just, even with your fins, you know, you said uh, a random blurb caught your attention and all of a sudden Mm -hmm. you've got this very unique finish force. And then you have all these Soviet vehicles for different reasons. And all of a sudden, Oh, Hey, I can have a Soviet army now. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's funny where those uh, armies originate. It is. It is. And um, I think I'm a glutton for punishment because these Soviet models are largely black and white and nothing else because uh, those are two fun colors to paint and mass on a <laughs> tabletop anyway. Oh, over and over again. <laughs> over and over and over again. Uh, but hey, people seem to like the paint job. Uh, I got best painted at that event with the fins. So I'm looking forward to adding to that at some point again. Uh, but, you know, I, I definitely need to get a head of steam behind me before I take another run up to try and paint another whole squad of those because it takes weeks. But mm-hmm. uh, when I start crying about how long uh, I am spending painting models, it's probably time to call it a day. Man, Jordan, it is always a pleasure having you on, brother. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is great. Man, I really appreciate uh, the the theming that you put into your armies, and I'm really looking forward to seeing more of these Pacific Army. And I know you are still working on your Romanians and a whole lot of other projects. Man, don't stop. Your stuff is super inspiring. I love it, and it definitely gets my juices flowing. And uh, I know I'm not alone. When I mentioned to a couple people that I was having you on the show, everyone said, oh, yeah, I love his stuff. So uh, keep going, man. You're you're giving, you're preaching the good word to uh, to us, boring old uh, regular model hobbyists. It, it really does uh, encourage people to bring their A game as far as conversions and uh, historical researching for forces. It's awesome. Thanks, Brad. That that means a lot. Um, and to you guys out there, make sure you go check out Cast Dice on Facebook and Instagram, and you'll see this Finnish army that he's been talking about. It's gorgeous. I didn't know you won Best Painted, but uh, it's it's surely uh, earned. Thanks, man. I Oh, shucks. Thank you. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. I'm just, just one guy with a microphone and a paintbrush. Uh, but if you want to see truly inspiring stuff while we're patting each other on the back, I have to say Jordan's <laughs> stuff is amazing. Please go to – now, Jordan, the best place to find your stuff is on Insta, right? Yeah, Instagram is where I post most of uh, my content and do most of my interactions with other people in the hobby. So that's uh, at Scale History SLC. Uh, and you can also find me on YouTube under the same name. And if you're forgetting the letters, um, because I'm terrible with acronyms, just remember Salt Lake City, because that's where you are. Yep, that's right. Yeah, SLC. Right on. Well, guys, uh, thank you for listening today. I hope. For those of you who wanted more bolt action list building and theming conversations, this has been what you were looking for. Uh, For those of you who have been making uh, requests, we will continue to try and get through them. 
please message the Cast Eyes page if you like this and want to hear more like it, or if you have requests for other content on the show. We have a lot in the pipe, and I'm really looking forward to sharing it. Um, please go to Cast Eyes on Facebook, like Jordan said, and message the page. Uh, my name is Brad. Hi. If you message the page, you're guaranteed a response. Just remember that I do teach uh, primary school and uh, I do live in Australia, which means I occasionally sleep and I'm probably in a different time zone than you. So uh, it might take a few hours for me to get back to you. However, you are guaranteed a response. I think we have to go with what my old buddy Casey says, though, since it's the end of the show. When you're playing the games that we know and love, I hope that your dice roll hot. I hope your beverages are cold. But more than that, we at Cast Eyes just hope that you're having fun. Stay safe out there, guys. Good night.